Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a nursing podcast with your host, Beth Quas. Before we get started, we have a few quick notes. Don't Eat Your Young is a listener-supported podcast. To learn more about becoming a member and the perks available to you for becoming a patron yourself, visit patreon.com slash don't eat your young. You can learn more about the show, share your story to join Beth as a guest, or connect with our wonderful community in our Facebook group. You can find all those links and more at don'teatyouryoung.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to Don't Eat Your Young, everyone. Today, I'm so excited to have Tessa Heyman on the podcast. She's an RN. She lives near Toronto, Canada. So we have an international flair today. Um, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. I spoke with her um, and she's got such an amazing gift of what she wants to convey to nurses and not just our profession, but uh, many other things. Um, so welcome, Tessa. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity to to share. Absolutely. We're going to talk about a lot of things today, but first tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a registered nurse and I have a background in palliative care. I have a specialty in palliative care. And it was working with individuals at the end of their life uh, across all ages. And uh, cancer was the most common, but there were many, many reasons why people were palliative. And really getting to understand what their regrets were, what they resented, what they loved, what they privileged, what they wish they had more of. And over the years, those experiences really were something I wanted to continue su- supporting and, and utilizing. And so when I burnt out and uh, from bedside nursing, I had to figure out what I wanted to do, what I, where I wanted to put my energy um, and how I was going to support myself at the same time. And one of the things that I loved most about my palliative population was that I got to share with them tips and strategies and their families that really helped them to maximize the life that they had left and enjoy it. And their their family members put into practice things that I would share with them and they would have impact in their life uh, even beyond the actual patient. Um, so the impact of of not only improving your patient's life or, or helping them to feel better uh, through their day um, was also spreading to their families and their loved ones. What an important job and what an important time of life to help those people live a great life. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, but I really wanted to get in sooner. You know, over and over and over, seeing all of the things that people wanted to do differently. I wanted to harness that and bring that sooner and kind of flip flip my role on its head instead of being there at the end, being there, okay, <laughs> this is what's going to be waiting for you. <laughs> I know it, been there, I'll share my experience, but let's let's help you have a different, a different end result. Right? I wanted to help people make those changes and have that impact much, much sooner in people's lives and in their careers. Um, and it really got me looking at why did I want to walk away from bedside? What caused me to leave bedside? And how do I help stop that from happening to other people? 
and so I had thought it was anxiety. I had a chronic anxiety problem. I ended up here in, in Canada. It's not easy to get into a, a, a CBT or a DBT, which is the gold standard recommendation for those types of issues. Uh, so it was about a six to 12 month waiting list for me to get into a class that was provided by my family doctor. And what is that? What does CBD mean? It's cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. And here in Canada, you have to have an anxiety diagnosis to get into cognitive behavioral therapy, number one. So you can't just have a little bit of anxiety and want some help. You have to actually have a problem already before they'll give you support. And then you have dialectical behavioral therapy, which here you cannot get into unless you have a diagnosed personality problem with very few exceptions. So they made an exception for me because I had had friends who had personality, who had borderline personality disorder, who'd gone through it and told me some of the practices. And I was like, oh, I think that would help me. I want to learn. So I convinced my doctor to let me take it. And both of these programs were very helpful. And I was angry after I did them that A, they weren't available to medical professionals. And B, they weren't available to more of the public. I understand the funding part, but you know, our class was half empty. Wow. And we started, we started with a class of 40 and we ended with a class of like 17. So people dropped off so fast. And it was only a 12-week program. Both of them were 12-week programs that I had to wait. I had to wait six months to get into the CBT program and another six months before I was able to get into the DBT program. And they had both been submitted at the same time, those applications. So I was like, I was like, all of those things, there was so much judgment and shame for me as a nurse, feeling like I should have known all this stuff. I should have known all of these mental health, deep (laughs) psychological challenges that are programmed into us from an early age in life, that are programmed into us again through school, that are programmed even deeper and faster and stronger when we go to university, especially if you're in a medical field. And things that psychologists spend a decade of their life trying to understand so that they can help other people. Right. And so I had all of this perception that like, oh, I should have already known how to fix my own problem. I should never have burned burnt out in the first place. You know, all this stuff that I I had to work through with the layers, you know, talk about an onion of a problem, Uh, the layers that I had to go through to really start deprogramming. And um, you and I talked about this a little bit before uh, in the sense of when I was feeling burnt out, there was a lot of feeling helpless, helpless to have any control over my schedule, helpless to have any choice in the tasks I did day to day uh, because I was a community nurse at the time. And in community, I couldn't just have palliative patients which was what my specialty was and what I enjoyed doing, I wasn't able to just do that. I had to do all the wound care, the catheters, the, the um, you know, NG tubes, the medication of like just randomly going to people's house and helping them take their insulin because their family member refuses to learn how to do it or refuses to improve, <laughs> you know, things like that that were very frustrating. There were 50% of my job that I really didn't like Half, at least half of those tasks I dreaded having to do. So I probably wasn't in a role that was actually right for me in bedside. And, um, and so I felt 
really a lot of helplessness over that. And just as a side point, before I continue, the fact is that the majority of medical professionals, especially nurses, after they graduate is they go into the first available job. Most cases, there's exceptions, of course, but they go into the first available job, uh, which is oftentimes after their last placement, they might get a job offer or they'll go where they get a recommendation from family or friends. But very few of us actually look at the tasks that are going to be required in that job and know whether it's something we would even enjoy doing. And you've had at this point, most cases, you know, two to four years of clinical experience to kind of get an idea of what tasks you enjoy and which ones you don't. Right. And there are so many different types of nursing jobs that someone could have. Um, If you're listening to this and you hate the tasks that you have to do, aside from all the other stuff that comes with the job, but the day-to-day tasks, 80% of the tasks you have to do, if you hate them, you're probably in the wrong role for you. Oh, I'm glad you said that because people need to know you can leave. You can find something else. You can leave. Find, go, and don't be afraid to explore. You know, I badly, I badly wanted to get into ER when I graduated. And unfortunately, where I live uh, in this city, most of the ERs have a strict no new grad policy in critical care areas, which sucks because then you're trapped on a med surge floor where you don't want, I did not want to be in med surge. And it was the only thing I really could have done before they would let me get into the ICU or the ER. Mm -hmm. So as a result, I was miserable at the time I worked in the hospital because I worked on all the floors I didn't want to work on, doing all the jobs I didn't want to do. I worked in med surge. I worked in a rehab. I worked in neuro ortho, which was the most challenging floor. Uh, Half of their full-time staff were on sick leave, uh, injury leave injury leave Uh, because they didn't staff properly. So I get it when people are like staffing problems. I understand that to a T. And it was just like, and the reason I went to community because at least 50% of the tasks were something I enjoyed, Mm -hmm. you know? But again, you you have to kind of, uh, my experience and, and client experience to me is you have to enjoy basically a minimum of 70%, 70%. And that's really like borderline 70% of the day-to-day tasks that you do, you have to enjoy to a degree. If you're miserable in majority of your tasks, find a new position, find a new role where the tasks or the population is different because sometimes that's all the difference. I agree because our patients sense that they, they can tell if, you know, if you hate being there and you don't want to take care of them, then they shut down. And I completely agree with that. So like, so when I'm helping nurses um, with burnout, because that's what I do as a burnout recovery coach now, that's, that's what I transitioned into. And that's how I, I figured out going through that anxiety class and, and going through and realizing it wasn't anxiety. It was actually burnout as I did those classes. And I was like, okay, well, this is great. And this helped the anxiety, but all the other things were still there. And it, it was, it was something I had to reflect back. I couldn't recognize it while I was in it because I, I was on my own. And I was trying to figure it out all on my own, thinking I had to, right? Talk about some of those things that people should be attuned to. What should they be feeling in their body if they're getting to a point? Where should they start listening? Well, uh, number one, I was exhausted all the time, even though I was getting decent sleep because I I don't have children. So that was a saving grace for me. Um, You know, I still 
wasn't sleeping great. I had all this anxiety and worries and tension. Um, like my body was just, some of the work was very physically laboring when I was in the hospital was less. So when I moved to community was much more mentally taxing in the community. And so that was kind of the trade-off, but I was just mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted. And I would wake up in the morning still tired because I didn't know how to get good quality sleep at the time. So I would wake up still tired and I would dread going to work. I would hit the snooze button, hit the snooze button until the like last moment where I absolutely had to get up and get going. Um, And even then I would try to like push some patient early morning appointments and try to delay if I could. (laughs) If you work in the hospital, you don't have the luxury at all of doing. No. Um, And so it was, it was tough. So I, I dreaded going to work. Uh, I had so many racing thoughts and and a lot of anxiousness and and feeling this constant source of pressure that I always had to, um, I had to do it alone. I had to always put in extra time. I felt bad every time I said no to any kind of overtime because I felt like I was causing pain to my fellow coworkers and there were patients that needed me and I couldn't let go of that. So feeling like you have to do it all alone or feeling like if you don't show up, the rest of the floor is going to collapse or your patients are going to end up in the ER or they're going to code or whatever else. That thinking um, was a big factor in the burnout, as well as feeling like I didn't really matter. Like I was dispensable. Right. Like, you know, you, you have that cross like, oh, if I don't show up, it's it's going to be a disaster for everybody else. But at the same time, I'm dispensable and what I'm doing day to day doesn't really make that much of a difference. You know, am I really impacting lives? You know, especially when you, you see someone once and you may never see them again for like a wound care or, you know, if you work in the ER and the patients go up to the floor, you never hear about them again. You don't know what happened to them. You know, so there was this overall feeling of like, am I really making an impact? Right. You know, I'm caring for these people in the moment, but even though there's that saying, you know, people remember those that cared for them before they remembered what you do. Even that didn't feel like true. Absolutely. Because even if I did make them feel something, I wasn't getting that appreciation feedback loop that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think many of us expect. And so I didn't feel appreciated. I felt dispensable. I felt that I, you know, that wasn't taking care of myself. So I felt like exhausted all the time. And I had all this worry and racing thoughts and overwhelm and anxiousness that that was constantly part of the. And I just thought that was part of healthcare. I just thought that that's what it was being a nurse. And it's kind of being normalized right now. I mean, we're it being is. asked to do more and we do we do feel guilty if we don't pick up the extra hours. And I agree, it's time that we need to start listening to ourselves, listening to our bodies and uh, do something that can change that because burnout is becoming all too prevalent. And all of that feeds back into what I mentioned earlier, which is helpless. Yes. I felt helpless to really change my circumstances. And I just believe that that is the way healthcare is. There's nothing I can do about it. And so there's, there's no point. And I, I essentially went from full-time to casual to walking away. Now that happened over years. 
and I was able to put other things in place, but it, it was very, very challenging. The fact is most, most people don't want to leave their healthcare career. Right. Even though we're seeing that in a mass exodus from healthcare right now, which is so sad because it's one of the most needed fields and the most, you know, I think from a bureaucratic level, uh, one of the most unappreciated. I completely agree. Yes. People aren't going to stay at a job where they're not appreciated and recognized for the hard work we do. And truly, it it's hard to get through nursing school. And you put all that time and money into it. And I can agree, people, they don't want to walk away, but sometimes it's necessary. And I think a lot of the problem starts in the education. Like I, I said before, we are very well conditioned in our two to four years. If you um, look at the military, their most military trainings are 12 to 16 weeks. And they will take an 18-year-old recruit who has no experience and in less than four months, teach them to walk right in front of a speeding bullet. And they do that through intense conditioning. If they're able to do that in just four months, what do you think the system did to you in two to four years? You have been programmed to feel the way you do, essentially. You've been programmed to feel guilty if you don't go in because that's how they keep you coming back in. You've been programmed to think you've got to do it all alone and be tough because they, you need to function under pressure and under stress. And so there is a little bit of that that may be necessary in, in training your stress response and training you how to stay cool when crisis is happening. But the rest of it, uh, you know, that clinical detachment, that is not helpful. And it's not real. That is a programming that has not realistic, not served us and is not real. And it's not what patients want. Patients don't want a robot caring for them. They want someone they can connect with, someone who they feel understands them and is going to support them in the worst moments of their life. Because that's often what it is, right? I can remember patients I've taken care of. 25 plus years ago and how I felt and how they must have felt. And those things don't go away. You can't detach. No. And, and to be fair, if you were able to, you would probably be a psychopath or a sociopath because that's (laughs) how we define them. So they want us in a way, you know, if you think of it, many educations say, oh, you know, professional boundary and discipline. And, And there is appropriate emotional boundaries. Yes. You know, there is appropriate emotional boundaries, but that picture of the detached clinician that we are taught really to be very much like is utter bull poop. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and and it, it causes us more damage because we feel like we can't make that the me, the whole entire meaningful and fulfilling part of nursing is taken away. Right. By telling you you have to be clinically detached. And, and, you know, that is essentially uh, a failure coping mechanism because it doesn't work uh, that we're supposed to be able to cope with all of the emotional onslaught we deal with on a day-to-day basis. You know this. It's not just nurses. It's all healthcare providers. It's policemen. It's firemen. It's the EMTs that are the first people on the scene. Those, those patients you take care of, you don't forget some of them. And who's taking care of the caregivers? Exactly. The caregivers are being left left away. So we have this, this conditioning that begins in, in, in school. And after all that time, you wonder why 
um, you're working now and feeling like you want to fall apart, which for a lot, especially now, I mean, burnout was a, we had a a burnout rate of 200% before the pandemic. That means that every single nurse, and this is for nursing specifically, every single nurse through their career will experience burnout a minimum of twice on average. That's what that number represents. Wow. Can you imagine what it is now? No, I can't. Right. Um, and and so it's 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 pretty crazy that we are actually not taught how to deal with the emotion that we face every day. And we are not taught how to really cope health in a healthy way. They don't teach you how to cope in school. So you get to the floor, and if you weren't lucky enough to be taught this by your parents or your mentors or somebody else randomly along the way, you're working as a nurse without any real coping skills on how to emotionally deal with all of the things you face on a day-to-day basis and wondering why you can't figure it all out. Well, you weren't born knowing it all. Right. Every tiny little thing in your life, you learn from some from observation of someone or something, or you were directly taught by something or someone. Right. So the fact that you may go through your career feeling like you should know how to handle every problem that comes along the way and beating yourself up when you can't because burnout's not a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a problem you can solve. And you're bashing your head against the wall trying to solve something that can't be solved and wondering why you feel like a failure because all, all it does is make you feel like you're not good enough, that you can't figure this out. You can't figure out how to feel better. You can't figure out how to get more sleep. You can't figure out how to control your thoughts. Well, that's when you have to reach out for help. You have to be taught by somebody else who's done it, who's been there. And there comes you. So tell us a little bit bit about what you are doing now with your business and what you offer. So we have, uh, you know, a structure that we do because we have learned through our own research that most people uh, experience greater results and greater success through group programs. Um, because you are able to learn not only from your own experience, but everybody else who's sharing. And while majority of our clients are nurses, uh, we do provide support to all health professionals, anybody who's in healthcare, um, because I feel like there isn't enough collaboration. We, we don't have in our schooling in our education, in our clinical practice, enough interprofessional collaboration, uh, in my personal opinion. And, and so I really wanted to bring that in when I started this, um, this kind of coaching, because there's so much we can learn from each other. We work together every single day together. (laughs) You know, if you're a nurse, you're working with the doctors, you're working with the pharmacist, you're working with the physiotherapist, the respiratory therapist, you're working with the people in the labs, bringing your patients down, you know, um, or, or providing them with report back and forth when you're sending a patient for tests. You might be on the phone, speak, if you're in the community, you're speaking with all these different social workers, psychologists, you're speaking with people who are doing like care coordinating, (laughs) which are often like if you're in, in, in the public, right? If you're in community care, you're dealing with 
case managers and, and, you know, there's a lot of different moving pieces and none of us really talk to each other. We all have our own little societies, our own little organizations, our own little councils, our own little everything. And as a result, the growth that we individually make doesn't get shared. That's a great point. There are other professions who don't burn out as high rates as nurses and doctors. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Right? Why aren't we learning from each other? Why aren't we pulling some of these things across, right? And if you, if you, for example, physiotherapists have the lowest rate of burnout. The lowest rate of burnout. Not that they don't. It's, it's, I'm, I'm talking about percent, like very minute percentage points. I think they're like at like 30 or I think, sorry, I think it's like 28% for physiotherapists by, and if you're going to check this out for yourself, there's about 20 different reports. So I looked at a number and I took an average. That's how I got my numbers. And and nurse, so 28% for physiotherapists, and I think it's about 35% for for nurses, 34 point something. What do you attribute that to? And I think that is a a combination of um, many people who are physiotherapists it depends on where you got your education. Uh, here in Canada or in Ontario specifically, uh, you have to, physiotherapy is only a master's degree. Whereas some states, some uh, provinces, it's, a, it's a, a degree in itself. So it depends. Um, but a lot of people who go into physiotherapy have a degree in kinesiology or um, physical sciences or biology, or uh, some of them even nursing, right? But they tend to have, uh, I think, a more, they're more in tune with their body. They had physically healthy habits prior to going into a physiotherapy career. These individuals are more likely statistically to be going to the gym, to be paying attention to what they eat, to be practicing things like yoga or mindfulness or meditation, which all help us to handle stress. Um, And we know physical exercise can be very uh, stress releasing, right? So, so I, I think, you know, from what I've seen that they come with that background. And so those practices are already in place by time they hit the job market. That's very interesting. Whereas nurses are known to be the unhealth, the most unhealthy health profession, stamp nurses. And we wonder why we have the highest rate of burnout. Um, you know, second place would be doctors. <laughs> Just because there's more of us than them. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I think, I think, and, and when we start in our programs, the first place we start is your relationship with yourself. Because your relationship with your job, your relationship with your family, your relationship with money or time or anything else really is going to come second. If you are not good with you, nothing else in your life is going to get where you really want it to be. Um, Because you are, there's a, a saying in business that I learned is the owner is the biggest bottleneck of their own business. Right. But the same is true for our life. You are the biggest bottleneck to anything that you want in life. And so, um, you know, that's where we start. And we have uh, two programs that we run. Uh, we very rarely do one-on-one coaching because um, all of our programs include 
one-on-one coaching, but they also provide the group aspect, which is found to be the most successful way to get people results. And here, uh, it's not about talk therapy. Uh, it's about results. What are you facing and what do you want to change? And let's get you there. You know, to, to put it really simple, <laughs> you know, to put a really simple spin on it. Yeah. But it's, it's so, it's so important. And then once you've really looked at that relationship with yourself, then we can look at all of the other things that are impacting the way you're feeling that are impacting your life. Um, so, you know, you're talking about more of what we do and there it is. That is such important work. I know so many people that have all of the symptoms of burnout that you talked about. I've been there myself. Um, I had to walk away from my job and try something new. And I tell you, just like you tell people, you know what, if you don't really love what you're doing, don't stay there. And I can't agree more. Don't, don't stay. Life is too short to continue to do something because of fear. There's always something out there for you to do. The great thing um, about our programs on that front is that out of all of the people that come in, you know, and the reason we chose 60 days is because there's enough, you know, it's, it's a short enough period of time that you can see results really, really quickly, but then a long enough period of time for us to really create an impact. And then the 12 month program is really all about helping you to implement all the things you've learned in the 60 day. And we even give people who join the 12 month program, they get the 60 day included. Oh, that's amazing. But they have to, uh, we, you know, they have to go through it on their own if they do it that way. Um, so we always recommend doing the six day program first, seeing where you're at and then graduating into the 12 month program, so to speak. So where do people find you? Uh, they can find me online through Facebook or Instagram, or uh, you can contact us through our website, keysofprosperity.com. Um, I, we have a private Facebook group for health professionals. It's a health press, uh, health professional support group. And we, you know, provide a weekly show where we provide tips and strategies and support, uh, for individuals in that group. Uh, and we are actually in the process of migrating that to our YouTube channel. So people will be able to watch those episodes for those who are like, no Facebook, <laughs> they'll be able to, uh, to find us. And, um, and when people work with us of the people that come in about 70% are able to stay in their position after working with us. Oh, that's amazing. About 70% are able to, you know, really, you know, change their life without actually having to change their job. And about 30%, we end up supporting them to find a new position because wherever they are is is not right for them, or it's not a good environment or, you know, number of things can come up but that is exactly what I want nurses to hear because one of my goals is to have nurses stay in nursing if they can and choose to because I I don't want so many people to leave because they worked hard to get there and that knowledge is so important so I'm so thankful for what you're doing and helping people to stay or to find the courage to leave if that's what's best for them yeah and if they leave where are you going to go? What do you want to do? Helping them to figure all of that out, you know, is, is a, a part of, a part of what we have to provide because so many will go. Um, and if you've been in the situation and you've been burnt out and you've left your job to go to a new job, and then you wonder why within, you know, after the first 30 and 60 days and the excitement wears off of a new job, you feel burnt out again. 
it's because so many, you know, what's that saying? Um, from the pan to the fire, <laughs> you know, nobody's taught us how to look for a job, how to actually be the one interviewing the employer rather than the employer interviewing you, how to actually manage your manager rather than always being the subject of management. And those are very key, important things to, to enjoying your job that never are taught in nursing school. And if you were taught that in nursing school, by all means, share your program because I'll recommend <laughs> that one because you know yeah. there are so many things we weren't taught. You know, and one of the untalked about things in this world is is money. Right. And and just to kind of, you know, some last thoughts is that uh, you know, we include a component of that in our program because it's not something you're taught in school unless your parents were fantastic at money which uh, considering 80% of households are financially struggling, they're about two months away from not being able to pay their bills. Um, you know, that's, that's not a great statistic. So even though you're a nurse and you're probably making a decent amount of money, you may not be living in such a manner to, to enjoy that income. You know, if you're working extra overtime and, you know, that's going to be contributing to your burnout. Uh, because you you need to 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 do that to pay the bills. Well, what if you financially optimize? Maybe you don't need to work any overtime, right? You know, so that's one of the benefits, and that's one of the reasons why you know I chose my partner, who is a financial expert, uh, and she's uh, she's uh, moved into relationship coaching. She's just in the middle of uh, doing her certification for relationship coaching um, because it's something she's done her entire career. Uh, in finance, you'd be surprised how much of financial coaching is about relationships. <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, and I so, wish uh, uh, I wish nursing had a way to uh, had a pension so that there was the chance to retire at fifty five or earlier. But I think you know, trying to work at least in the United States because of the health care, they need health insurance and. Uh, you can't get it until you're 65. Nursing's a very hard profession if you're working at the bedside, and uh, it takes a big physical toll. And so, at some point, I hope nurses are recognized for that as well and can uh, retire earlier while they're still healthy. I started a, a saying the international summit we ran uh, in July. Uh, to uh, which is going to be an annual summit, the Burnout Recovery Summit. And, uh, you know, one of the things is that when you're in healthcare, you don't come out intact. You either lose a piece of your soul, a piece of your body, or a piece of your mind um, by the time you exit. And, and that's because we're not taught how to be whole in healthcare. You know, talk about holistic care, um, it doesn't exist for the care provider, because we're never taught. You need to be taught how to holistically care for yourself, for you to do it to others. Um, and none of us were really taught that, no. at least not in our education, no. uh, which is unfortunate. I agree. I, I applaud you for the work that you're doing. I think it's amazing. And we'll have all of your links in our show notes as well so people can find you. If you were going to leave nurses with a few tips or advice, what would you say? Stop feeling like you got to go it alone and figure this all out. Uh, it's, it, I didn't do it. Nobody else has done it. Nobody who has 
experienced burnout has recovered alone. So reach out, reach out for help. We offer free, uh, you know, discovery calls. So even if you just want to, you know, unload, um, by all means, book a session. They, you have the, they have the link to, to book a free session, you know, just to see what's possible for yourself. Um, you might be amazed at what you can, you know, what kind of change you can feel in just a 30 minute session. That's an amazing offer. And I encourage anyone to please take her up on that. Give Tessa a call and um, see if you can get some help. I thank you so much for being on the show, Tessa. You, you're doing amazing work. I hope uh, this spurs more people to seek you out. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Beth. Thank you so much for having me here on the show. It's been awesome. Donate Your Young was produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by The Lighthearts. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at DonateYourYoung.com. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. But the best thing you can do to support the show is to share it with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.